Welcome to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. This week, finding misinformation and disinformation that's being peddled about election fraud. Despite reoccurring, frequent, and baseless claims, there's no evidence to support election fraud or tampering of our election systems. The First Lady and Secretary of Transportation are in town for a little fundraising and environmental assistance. The author, Timothy, Timothy Egan, once said that the Pacific Northwest is simply this, wherever the salmon can get to. It is literally a defining feature of this region. New York declares a state of emergency due to the actions of another state. The number of people in New York City shelters is setting new records every day amid the unyielding arrival of asylum seekers bust here from Texas and elsewhere. And how a Mariners playoff run changes the political campaign. All of that coming up this hour, but we're about a month out from the midterm elections and a number of campaign surrogates were dispatched to Washington state this last week, at least from the Democrats. We saw First Lady Jill Biden in town. We also saw Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg in town announcing a, a program that was part of the infrastructure bill that was uh, recently passed. But nevertheless, they're all clamoring for votes, particularly in that 8th district where it is just a toss-up and could determine control of the House. Joining me now, political analysts Kathy Allen and Randy Peppel. And uh, we'll, we'll start with those visits from the Biden administration. How are they expected to affect the elections here? Because, you know, everyone's playing the turnout game coming up in the midterms. John, I would say it was one of those things that if, until you told me, I didn't know either one were going to be coming. And the fact is, is that it really is amazing that uh, right now there's just much more in the air locally than there is nationally. It's just not a time when you're w- looking at DOT and transportation grant projects. And mostly what's happened is that it provides another opportunity for candidates like Kim Schreier to be able to hold fundraisers with them. But the fact is, it's much more monetary than it is actually penetrating the public. Indeed, these were primarily fundraising visits. That's why, uh, you know, they get announced literally in the media uh, a day or two before the person shows up. The the fundraising uh, tickets have been on sale for a little bit longer than that. Um, and that just demonstrates that that's the real purpose of the visit by the Biden administration is to uh, try to hoover a little bit of money uh, out, out of the citizens of Washington for uh, their favored candidates. In this case, it's, it's Senator Murray, it, it, it's Representative Schreier. You know, that's a uh, time tested tactic on both uh, sides of the aisle uh, for, for showing up here. The added benefit of having uh, sec- the Secretary of Transportation trying to uh, cut into the public consciousness that's dominated by the Mariners right now, talking about uh, fish culverts in, in Issaquah, <laughs> I'm not quite sure is going to get the bump uh, that, uh, uh, that you would think of from, the, the, from a publicity standpoint. We'll talk about the Mariners and their effect on politics coming up here in just a few moments. But uh, let's focus in on that 8th Congressional District, Kim Schreier versus Matt Larkin. This is, uh, as it has been so many times in the past, a toss-up election could determine control of the U.S. House of Representatives. And what are we seeing in that race, whether it be from the fundraising aspect? Obviously, you you mentioned that uh, you had Jill Biden and, and the Secretary of Transportation in town. Uh, or from polling that we uh, so often don't see in these competitive districts? I think it is looking, to me, I don't think that this race is even close. I think Kim Schreier has outrun them. I don't feel the same way about the U.S. Senate race, however. I would say that in all of this, what's happened is Schreier's ads 
um, have once this is once again it's the same thing with the smileys ads in the in the uh, united states senate race these ads this year are getting more attention i hear more people talking about kim schreier's farmers ad and same thing with uh with the tiffany smiley i hear more people talking about her very gutsy ads and so from that perspective that's what i hear and that's what's actually causing a little bit more interest but i don't know about that eighth uh brandy what are you thinking to me it's all about turnout at this point in time. I mean, in a midterm election, it's about who gets the added voters to the polls. Um, the hardcore partisans in on both sides, they'll be voting as soon as they get their ballots, uh, you know, after October 17th. But yep. it's do you get people motivated to vote who always vote in presidential elections are part of that, you know, mid 80% that turn out in Washington state and presidential elections. Do you get them to be part of the mid sixties, low seventies that will turn out in that midterm and in the eighth district, uh, because I don't live in the district, I don't see what type of turnout efforts are going on. The air cover certainly tells you it's going to be a competitive race. I mean, that's, that's why the secretary's here uh, to raise money. Uh, for Kim Schreier. Uh, if she was far ahead, he would be in some district where they had somebody who was more endangered than Kim Schreier. Uh, it'll be one of the top 10 closest races in the country. Uh, and uh, spending on both sides is going to uh, continue to uh, annoy all people who uh, have television sets and open their mailboxes in the 8th Congressional District. <laughs> and you guys brought up the Senate race between Patty Murray and Tiffany Smiley. The, the interesting thing to me about this particular race was that from the outset, Patty Murray went negative very, very early, trying to define her opponent, trying to define Tiffany Smiley as, uh, you know, a Trump associate and and, and far right. Is, is she in any danger? Is is Patty Murray, who's been there since 1994 she or 92, is she any in any danger? I'll let Randy take it because I don't see it at all. I see people absolutely saying, now you, you've already you know sent your money to Patty, haven't you? And all of these things, I don't see it. I don't see it tight at all. But I do respect the power of the ads that Smiley is actually playing because I got to tell you, everyone I know is talking about them. Again, I, I, I will default to turnout as key here, but uh, Tiffany Smiley certainly has exceeded the expectations of the folks across the aisle, because if the Democrats didn't think she was a threat, Patty Murray would not be mentioning her at all. Uh, uh, when Patty Murray ran against Chris Vance, she never mentioned Chris Vance's name uh, in public. There was no need to. It's only when she is threatened that Patty Murray comes out negative, uh, as she did when she ran against Dino Ross. If she felt that this was a safe seat, uh, she would uh, not be spending her time going after the Republican candidate. But what's really telling here in this race is that she doesn't have a defense of her 30 years in office. After 30 years, you would think she would be rolling out. Here, here are the massive achievements I have uh, 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 delivered uh, for the people of Washington State, here like Warren Magnuson or like Scoop Jackson, uh, former senators with that type of history. Instead, she comes out and says, my opponent likes the former president. And that is the essence of her campaign. And that tells you a whole lot about her lack of success in the U.S. Senate and why Tiffany Smiley has a chance uh, 
to defeat her in November. I would just want to argue that the reason that she's going negative is because people end up rallying to it. I mean, she's done her polling and know that all you have to do is say Trump, even in some Republican circles around here. And people immediately say, yeah, I don't want anybody that was associated with Trump ever, ever in the United States Senate. I think that that I mean, it's not a matter that she doesn't have anything to talk about. She has too much to talk about in regards to her 30 years. The problem is that people just want to see the scare. The scare moves faster than anything else. I remember reading an article a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months ago. I uh, can't remember who wrote it, but the headline was Tiffany Smiley, rising star in the Republican Party, but she's in the wrong state. You guys agree with that? I do. She could be doing very well in many places. Are you kidding? But I have to say that, you know, we have seen um, the Roe v. Wade or Rovember, as they're calling the uh, Roe v. Wade uh, activism right now, is it's really had an effect on young people. And as to Randy's earlier point, you know, even in years like this, we're going to end up with 75 percent turnout minimum in most places. There'll be three and four different uh, counties that will end up having 80 percent again, including probably ours. The important part for me is that turnout is going to be strong. It's a matter of who's in that turnout. And the fact is, is that in many cases, there's a reason to be here, uh, mostly for young people who have really risen to the Roe v. Wade decision. They are doing that. Now, the Republicans retort, um, as our good friend Larry Sabato from the University of uh, Virginia was talking about yesterday, after looking at 300 ads from Democrats and Republicans uh, for Congress this year, he has pointed out that crime is the rising figure or it's going to be what is going to compel Republicans who are not so sure they have anything to vote for to come out and vote. So it's crime versus Roe v. Wade that really is in the middle right now. Inflation seems to have gone away in many cases, except for Tiffany Smiley's ads. And all of that, I find that there is really a richness now in terms of what are the substantive issues that are moving people, What those people who are seldom voting in off elections. And Jeff, I think that when you talk about is she running in the wrong state? Any Republican running statewide in Washington state can certainly look over the fence and see greener grass uh, in many other states. Um, and and in, uh, someone with her compelling story uh, would be easily electable uh, in any number of uh, more Republican states than Washington. Her background uh, is also compelling enough to help her win in Washington State. Now, I, I do think it comes down to turnout. I don't. I don't know that we're going to see seventy-five percent. A lot of the polling that Kathy and I have both seen, uh, I think, says that there is a lot of animation, a lot of energy around uh, the issue of abortion since the Dobbs decision was pa- uh, handed down by the Supreme Court uh, in June. Mm-hmm. However, that is still primarily for the activists. And the activists were going to vote anyway. And it's how many extra people does it add? And I don't know that it adds to 75%. If it does, then uh, that means Kathy's turnout machine is doing very well this year. I put a bet so, on that, Randy. I'm going to, right here and now, I'm putting a bet on that. We're going to have 75% or more statewide, and you know it. Now, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, Washington's elections are secure, despite what some might have you believe. We'll dispel some of the myths and get you all the details when the Northwest Politicast continues after this.
Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogel. Well, the midterm elections just a few weeks away, and there's still a lot of people who feel that elections in this country are not secure. Now, of course, they are, but that doesn't mean the misinformation about them hasn't continued to spread. Joining me now is Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris. And this past week, you spoke with Secretary of State Steve Hobbs and others who are now putting out a, a great deal of effort to try to combat some of this misinformation. So what exactly are they doing? That's right, Jeff. Secretary Hobbs uh, held an event this week in which he introduced his campaign, which he's calling the Vote with Confidence campaign. And the whole idea, Hobbs says, is to educate people and hopefully give them information about how the votes actually work and with the hope that they'll even pass that along to friends and family and sort of spread that education around. Now, one of the things that they pointed out, too, is that elections are run by the counties. People oftentimes don't realize that even though the state is involved and it might be a federal election, ultimately the elections are run by county elections directors or county auditors, depending on where you are, and they are responsible for making sure all of that security is in place. But as you mentioned, there's a lot of, of misinformation and disinformation going out there, not just people who don't understand, but people who are intentionally trying to put this false information out there to try to convince people that the election results are not legitimate. Secretary Hobbs says organized misinformation like that threatens the understanding of how elections work. Despite reoccurring, frequent, and baseless claims, there's no evidence to support election fraud or tampering of our election systems. Keep in mind, this is his first election. He was appointed after Republican Kim Wyman uh, was moved on to the Biden administration and took a job there. Uh, so he is now a Democratic appointee by Governor Inslee here and is up for re-election himself here. Uh, but one of the other things that he pointed out here is that in a lot of places, not necessarily here in Washington state, where we went to all mail balloting many, many years ago, this is pushing people back to voting in person and waiting in long lines quite frequently to do it. This is a form of voter suppression. People have to get time off work, but not here in the state of Washington, where you have the convenience of voting at home. But it isn't just Secretary of State Steve Hobbs. As you said, these elections are administered at the local level, at the county level, and uh, the biggest county in the state, King County. Julie Wise is the election director there, and, and security is one of the big things she's responsible for. Yeah, absolutely. And it's security at all kinds of different levels that Julie Wise was talking about. And another thing to keep in mind there, too, those county elections directors those are nonpartisan offices. So politics is not supposed to play into that, especially when you're talking about the management of our elections. One of the areas that Julie Wise focused on was the ballot drop boxes, which she described as essentially built like tanks. They're made with very thick steel walls. There's no place on the outside where they can be pried open and they're bolted to the ground uh, with steel bolts. So they're virtually, as she put it, uh, impenetrable because, again, they are built like tanks. Once your ballot goes into a King County ballot drop box, it's not going to come out until it's emptied by our trained ballot collection teams. 
But we have seen in King County a lot of people, particularly on the conservative side, that still don't believe elections are secure. And, and particularly with these these drop boxes in heavily Democratic areas, we saw a lot of them posting signs saying that they're under surveillance, things of that nature. How, how is the Secretary of State and the local elections directors responding to that? Well, again, they say that not only are the ballot boxes very secure, but uh, Julie Wise made another important point at this week's event. It's important to note when talking about drop boxes that in Washington, it is perfectly legal to drop off ballots to a drop box for others. What Wise is talking about there is the practice known as ballot harvesting, where people will go, let's say, to a, a long-term care facility or a senior residence, and they'll gather up everybody's completed ballots and take them to the drop box. Wise says that's legal here in Washington, even though that's why some of these groups say they are monitoring the ballot drop boxes uh, in order to prevent cheating or to see that, you know, that uh, ballots are being deposited appropriately. The other thing to keep in mind, though, is if you're going to give your ballot to someone else to deliver to the drop box, Wise says, you need to make sure it's someone that you trust to do that because in between picking it up from you and dropping it into the slot there on the box, they could very well get into it, tamper with it, and change the votes. Now, at the same time, Wise didn't address it specifically, but I don't believe that it would be legal for any of these so-called observers to do anything that might interfere with elections workers who are working in and around those boxes. They are not always there. They're not monitored 24-7 other than by cameras. But, uh, you know, there are times where they come to empty the boxes, and that happens more frequently as we get closer to the election. And then the day of, some will be there to sort of manage the traffic to make sure everybody can drive up to it. I know one time, I hate to admit it, uh, I drove right up to the ballot box at 7.59 and barely got my vote in just in the <laughs> nick of time. And there were people there that were ready to direct the traffic. So they also have a job to do, and nobody is allowed to interfere with that. And if you're sort of concerned about these ballot drop boxes, you can always drop the ballot off in the mail. That's right. You can mail it. Here's the kicker with that. It has to be postmarked on Election Day. Now, the ballot drop boxes close at 8, but I don't know of any post office that's open after 5 p.m. I know we've had calls at the desk in the past asking about where the post office is open late on Election Day. The post office is only late on open late on tax day because they want to make sure you can get your taxes in on time. But if you want to put your ballot in the mail, you have to make sure it's going to get that postmark by the time your post office closes on election day or it won't count. Back to this idea of ballot harvesting and election fraud, for which there has been no evidence that there's widespread any of that anywhere, not only in Washington state, but across the country, despite the claims of the former president and the former uh, Republican nominee for governor in this state. But the thing that's always got me is that they make these claims of illegal casting of ballots, but implicit in that is that every one of those illegal ballots is a Democratic ballot, because it's almost always the Republicans making these claims. But we would have no idea how people, if they voted illegally, voted left or right. No, that's absolutely true. And what people also forget is you can always go to the King County Elections Office and observe the ballot pro counting process, which starts with 
signature verification on the envelope. So they match the signature to the one that you have on file with your voter registration. Again, all owned under public scrutiny and the political parties have people there always watching. That process is just one step in the process. If there are any questions, they'll reach out to you. They'll ask you to verify your signature. Maybe they'll have you, uh, you know, send in a provisional ballot uh, or come in to cast one if there's any question about your vote to make sure that your vote is counted accurately. And again, you are right that, you know, there's no sort of partisan preference there. Now, among the other claims is, number one, that uh, those ballots are not securely stored when they're at the elections office and that the tabulation computers can be hacked uh, via Wi-Fi or anything else. In both of those cases, there is dual-level security. In order to penetrate the tabulation server, someone would have to get into our building, up on this secure second floor, into the secure server room, which requires a badge and authorized fingerprint of the employee that matches that badge, before they could even attempt to even log on to the server to tamper with results. Julie Wise makes it very clear there that those tabulation computer servers are what she called hardwired, air-gapped, and not connected to the internet in any way. So there is no way somebody could hack into them with Wi-Fi, no way somebody could get in through the internet using any kind of tools. And like she said, you'd have to get through the physical security just to get into the room, and then you would have to be able to log on to the computer to start messing around with the results of the election. So it's it's virtually physically impossible to make that happen. And that dual layer security, the picture ID badge that's also a key card, and your fingerprint, so another biometric piece of security there, is also required to get into the room, the cage actually, where the ballots are stored. And once that's closed for the night, there's actually a unique seal with a number that's placed around it, and two people have to be there the next day to break the seal. So they do everything they can. They take every possible step they could think of to try to make sure that the elections are as secure as possible. And it appears that they are as we head towards Election Day coming up in November. Ryan Harris of Northwest News Radio, thank you so much for your time and insight. Thanks, Jeff. We have to take another quick break, but coming up, the Secretary of Transportation was in town this past week, and he took a moment to speak with us before heading back to the other Washington. We'll have what he said when the Northwest Politicast returns in just a moment. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg was in King County this past week. He announced a grant program meant to help local communities remove and repair fish culverts found under roads that can prevent salmon and other fish from passing. And these communities have been working to fix issues around culverts and restore population for years, knowing that these solutions matter, but uh, always finding some kind of impediment blocking their way. 
often they too were swimming upstream, often because of lack of funding. Secretary Buttigieg took a moment out of his busy schedule to talk with our morning hosts, Greg Herschelt and Manda Factor. I'll be honest, when I first took this job, I knew I'd be working on roads and bridges and ferries and, and, and transit and airports. I, I wasn't thinking a whole lot about culverts, but I should have been. Uh, it, it's a very important thing, especially in this region where fisheries are an incredibly important part of the economy and the way of life. What happened was when they built out the road network around here, especially in the 60s and 70s, they ran the water under the roads, but they didn't do it in a way that, that works for, for fish. It's actually blocking a lot of salmon migration. So one of the many, many things in the president's bipartisan infrastructure package, something that uh, local leaders uh, like Senators Cantwell and, and, and Murray insisted be in that package is a fund that's going to allow us to fix and replace these culverts, allowing these salmon and other fish to migrate to where they need to be. And again, that matters not just if you happen to uh, enjoy recreational fishing, but it's a big deal for uh, the whole economy of the region. It's a big deal for tribal communities and just one of uh, many things people might not know about coming to Washington State thanks to this legislation. What was your main takeaway from your trip to our, our part of the country? We know you, you see so many things that remind us why transportation is important. The culverts in King County, for sure. We were out in Wenatchee uh, yesterday talking with growers and learning about the, uh, the importance for agricultural exports of having strong supply chains and good transportation. And we're doing a major investment in the Apple Capital Loop out there in Wenatchee. Uh, also great to be here in uh, the Seattle area and see uh, some of the impact of the, of the investments we're making here and where the needs are. Uh, you know, we're, we're uh, doing a grant to the uh, Seattle-Tacoma Airport to improve that. Uh, I'm going to be taking a look later today at the Port of Tacoma that's so important. Uh, we uh, spent uh, our share of time, as you might imagine, during this trip on I-5 and I-90. Uh, we're making improvements there. Uh, so good just to get a, a feeling on the ground about, about the work. And then we had an important conversation yesterday about workforce, too, and making sure people who have been uh, historically excluded uh, from a chance to get these great paying construction jobs are uh, ready to, to join a workforce at a time when, frankly, we're going to need to recruit as many great workers as we can to get all of this construction done over the next five years. You mentioned Senator Murray and her Republican opponent uh, issued a statement saying that Murray is not an infrastructure builder. She's an infrastructure wrecker by uh, insisting on breaching Snake River dams. And uh, her Republican opponent says that would be very damaging to the state economy. How do you view that? Well, I don't know everything about the, the issue of the dams, but I definitely know that Senator Murray is big on building infrastructure because uh, I've sat across from her in uh, committee hearings where she is asking me directly how our department can uh, do more and move quickly to make sure that the, the infrastructure needs of her state, this state, are being met. I have enormous respect for the work that, that she has done as uh, one of the leaders, including a, a very important role as uh, a member of the Appropriations Committee, which means guiding a lot of the funding for the whole country, uh, but certainly with an eye toward uh, uh, toward what matters here in Washington state. I, I think with voices uh, uh, like hers and, and people on both sides of the aisle, uh, making sure that uh, uh, that our department gets the resources it needs uh, and uh, is uh, is frankly accountable for getting good results. Uh, that's that's a very important part of how the system works. I've noticed that you, you've been several times on conservative uh, cable networks like Fox News defending the administration's policies and, and responding to some tough questions. Do you think you're able to change any minds by making those appearances? 
I hope so. I'm not under under any illusion that uh, you know five minutes of listening to me might might change somebody's whole worldview. But so much of the stuff we're working on isn't political, or, or at least it doesn't have to be political. And I think that's especially true with transportation. Of course, we're going to have differences of opinion about uh, important issues related to how we do this this work. But you know, fundamentally, you you need to be able to get to where you're going. You need good roads. You need good bridges. You need good transit. Uh, we need to do something to make our our uh, communities and economies more resilient. Uh, I don't think you have to be in my political party to believe that climate change is real or to recognize that uh, we need to have technologies of the future, not just of the past when it comes to how we do transportation. So I want to tell that story to anybody who will listen. You know, I got started as a mayor and and definitely when you're a mayor, uh, you know, filling potholes, picking up the trash, uh, you you don't check to see if if somebody's a Democrat or Republican before you uh, find out about their problem and do what you can to help. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring that same attitude to Washington. I know that's how the president thinks about things too. And he's uh, very clearly directed his cabinet and his administration to solve problems for people, uh, whether it's, you know, left, right, or center. That's U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg with Northwest News Radio's Greg Hirschholt and Manda Factor. Now, we have to take another quick break, but when we come back, a state of emergency in New York, not due to hurricanes or natural disasters, but rather immigrants. When the Northwest Politicast continues after this. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogelup. A state of emergency in New York City, where Mayor Eric Adams is asking the city of El Paso, Texas, to stop sending busloads of immigrants. Lionel Moise covering for ABC News, and he spoke with Northwest News Radio's Bill O'Neill. Lionel, the state of emergency and calls for help from New York State and the federal government come after officials in New York City say more than 17,000 asylum seekers have been bused to the Big Apple? Yes. So five to six buses are arriving here each and every day. And Mayor Adams says this is not coordinated. It is unannounced. He is very upset uh, with lawmakers, basically saying the compassion of the city is being exploited by others for political gain. So that state of emergency that he declared today uh, is asking for federal and state resources to help with this. But he also declared an executive order today, basically asking agencies to coordinate, to construct migrant tent cities and humanitarian relief centers as well. Mayor Adams has been very outspoken on the busing of migrants and has gone as far as saying his city, along with Washington, D.C. and Chicago, each with an African-American mayor, are deliberately being targeted. Yes, and so this is the issue here. While he's discussing this issue, he is clearly working to provide resources for these asylum seekers, but he is not letting it go past that this is a political a political play and that the lives of these migrants and these asylum seekers and their livelihood is at play here. They are being bused across the country to a city without any announcement, and the city is now scrambling to find resources. Even the 10 cities that were constructed here are not enough to house the amount of asylum seekers who are coming. They still need additional resources. They need health care. They're going to need food and clothing. Uh, 5,500 migrant children are in New York City public schools at this very moment. And so while there is clearly something that needs to be done about what is happening at the border, he feels Democratic mayors and mayors of color, as you mentioned, are being targeted because they're mayors of so-called sanctuary cities where, you know, they, they will provide resources for these asylum seekers, but not 
any bus that is just sent. Yeah, of course, a lot of these migrants are being sent by the city of El Paso. And if you study big city politics in Texas, El Paso would be considered a blue democratic city. You know, one that has been crying out for help on this issue for a long time and hasn't gotten much. Yes, and that's another issue there, too. So, you know, you hear a lot Republican versus Democrat. Uh, This is a regional issue as well. As you can imagine, in El Paso, this is something that is overwhelming their city. uh, But Mayor Adams does not think that the right answer is just sending those people to another city unannounced. Because, again, you have to provide resources. The mayor is warning that it is going to cost New York City $1 billion this fiscal year alone to provide resources at the rate that asylum seekers are arriving in New York City and saying that that is just not going to be sustainable. And, of course, Mayor Adams seems willing to work with a lot of people to address this issue, with the exception of Governor Greg Abbott. Yes, uh, he seems like he's very furious with him. Hopefully they will be able to work together and coordinate because, again, we need to remember we're talking numbers, we're talking busloads. These are people, and they are going to need resources. They are not making the decision to be brought to New York City. And so the mayor is is trying to provide those resources, but there has to be more coordination. And that is part of why he is asking for the federal government and the state to step in. Uh, you know, not only to provide resources, but to also deal with what is happening at the border. ABC's Lionel Moyes with us on the Northwest News Line. That's Northwest News Radio's Bill O'Neill. We have to take another quick break, but when we come back, after two decades, the Mariners are making a run for the World Series. And believe it or not, it changes how candidates campaign. When the Northwest Politicast continues in just a moment. Welcome back to the Northwest Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. Finally this week, I'm joined once again by Republican strategist Randy Peppel and Democratic strategist Kathy Allen. We're going to talk about the Mariners. Obviously, this is the first time in 21 years that they have made the postseason. It's been since that 2001 year when they had 116 wins but then got swept in the first round since they made the playoffs. But it has an effect on politics. How does this happen? Well, there is a good news and a bad news. I'll I'll speak to the good. The good is that if you've got a, a team in the in the playoffs, the fact is it's marvelous. It helps. It brings a sense of excitement. It brings a sense of civic engagement. People feel more responsible. You see an uptick in turnout because they're winning. Now, if they lose, they lose early. Then. It, all bets are off. But this is the case in in terms of what we see here, that the Mariners, 21 years of the drought, oh my gosh, and now uh, looking good as we go into this weekend, knock on wood, the fact is is that uh, it does have a civic, I think, um, sort of a halo around it. You feel like you're more responsible for your community, you feel positive, and that usually brings people out. The uh, main impact on campaigns I think it has, Jeff, is that it makes advertising a lot more expensive (laughs) Um, and it makes it harder to reach audiences because if you're not on the station that the Mariners game is going to be on you're you're buying dead air Uh, you know you're but you're buying where uh, the voters aren't uh, which is what most consultants try to avoid so that that's that's the main impact but secondarily it's an attention span uh, uh thing it, it will consume a lot of bandwidth i mean the deeper the mariners go into the playoffs the more uh political coverage will be carved out 
uh, of the uh, front page or even the local section of newspapers or uh, on broadcast uh, by extra stories about the Mariners, uh, about the, whatever human interest stories about the Mariners are, are, are most telling at that time, because that's what people are going to want to hear. And if, if the Mariners make a run all the way to the World Series, if you map it out, Game 7 of the World Series would be on uh, the Friday before uh, the election. Yeah, so, if you see uh, that, man. imagine if if we've got an uh, if we've got a game seven of the World Series being played, how little attention would be paid to the election the following Tuesday. So, um, you know, now that's the, that's the stuff of dreams, but uh, that's the, the the or nightmares for political consultants, depending on your perspective. And actually, what you'll have is so many more of those ads on from Friday on. If we should win the World Series, the fact is, is that as opposed to one candidate having a specialized Mariners ad, would end up being something that everybody, everyone, every political person would be begging you for an ad or ad placement there in terms of that. So that's what's happening now. All right, Democratic strategist Kathy Allen, Republican strategist Randy Pebble, thank you so much for your time and insight. Thank you, and that will do it for this episode of the Northwest Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. And for more, be sure to check out our other shows, such as Northwest News This Week, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and Puget Sound Now with Bill Swartz. All are available at nwnewsradio.com or on your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Pogelup. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.